I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Joshua chapters 9 through 11. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Joshua chapter 9, we see that an oath is an oath. Verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you, but now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new, and see, they are torn. And these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we have sworn to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you, when you dwell near us? 
Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now I'm sure you recall how Jacob tricked Isaac and Esau to secure the firstborn birthright in Genesis chapter 27. Nevertheless, an oath is an oath. And remember how Laban tricked Jacob on his wedding night with the old bride switcheroo back in Genesis chapter 29? Well, was he upset? Well, sure he was upset. But an oath is an oath. Well, here we go again. The local Gibeonites, their residents of Canaan, they pull a fast one over on Jacob's descendants, and they live to tell about it. The acting was apparently superb, we see in verses 12 and 13, as they convinced Joshua and the elders that they couldn't possibly be local residents. And once again, just like that thrashing Israel took in their first round at Ai, we see in verse 14 that Joshua failed to consult with God before making his covenant with the Gibeonites. God had been very specific about treaties with the inhabitants of Canaan. He said, don't do it. Recall God's instructions regarding them in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. He said all the Canaanites had to go. But Joshua did make a treaty, which is a binding vow with these deceitful Gibeonites. He did it ignorantly, but nonetheless, it was a treaty. The key verse here is verse 14. It says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. With their tattered-looking clothing and supplies added to their bold-faced lying, the Gibeonites had convinced Joshua and company to enter into a binding treaty of mutual protection with them. Well, let me just ask this question. Where's a good attorney when you need one? In our litigious society, it would be unthinkable to honor the terms of a contract when blatant deceit and lying were involved in the formulation of the contract. Yet the Jews viewed contracts differently. It goes back to the Ten Commandments of God given to the Jews in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now notice the specific instructions regarding the third of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it reads thus, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And then we see it rendered this way in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, it's worded identically in both passages. This includes the frivolous use, by the way, of God's name. Note Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The modern-day practice of the usage of God in profanity is just a subset of this commandment. The primary intent of the third commandment, and confirmed by Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, is that the Jews were forbidden 
from invoking God's name frivolously. If you used God's name, you'd better mean it. So understanding the gravity of invoking God's name into a proposition, let's look closely at the wording of verse 18. Here's what it says. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Now to renege on a guarantee for safety after swearing as they had done... Well, that would have been a violation of this third commandment because they'd done it in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Joshua did, however, add some consequences to the proposition in verse 23. It says, Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. Nonetheless, note the provisions of Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 9 through 11. Those verses say, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water. So it's established that these Gibeonites will be protected under God's covenant with Israel just like a naturally born Hebrew. As a matter of fact, the Gibeonites call in a covenant marker in chapter 10, and Joshua, by the way, is instructed by God to protect them. If you made an oath under false assumptions, everyone still regarded the oath to be binding. So how long must they honor this treaty anyway? Well, an oath is an oath. Unless otherwise stated, it's forever. Over 400 years later, we find in 2 Samuel chapter 21 that God actually punished Israel with a famine. It was because Saul, 400 years later, had previously violated this oath made to the Gibeonites before his death. If you'd like to know more about the law of Moses concerning vows, then look at the notes on Leviticus chapter 27. Imagine the surprise of Joshua and the tribal leaders of Israel when they discovered that they've been duped in verses 17 through 19. The Hebrews were upset that their own leadership had entered into this treaty, but everyone honored it. However, Joshua decreed that day that even though they would not be killed, the Gibeonites would serve as slaves of Israel in verse 27. Incidentally, we see in verse 7 here, and in Joshua chapter 11, verse 19, that the folks of Gibeon that they were Hivites. When God does your fighting, good things happen. That brings us to Joshua chapter 10, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Hiram, king of Jamath, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel." Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, 
they and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwelt in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day? And there has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. We see in verse 3 that five kings decide it's time to put a stop to Israel's migration. They decide to go up against the people in Gibeon, not the Israelites, the Gibeonites. These Gibeonites get word and make a plea to Joshua for help. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe Joshua should have just let those five kings destroy the Gibeonites before engaging them in battle. That could have solved the dilemma of that whole vow thing back in chapter 9. However, Joshua does consult God this time, and he's instructed to fight, and the result is a major victory. As a matter of fact, the battle victory is guaranteed by God before it even begins in verse 8 when it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And then Israel gets some additional divine assistance in verse 11 with hailstones falling from the sky upon the enemy. There it says there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. Furthermore, Joshua gets a little bonus here. He gets some extra daylight to finish up the job. A whole day's worth of daylight, verse 13. Talk about daylight saving time. Well, that's daylight saving time right there. By the way, we're told that the book of Jasher referenced here was probably a kind of a national sacred songbook, a collection of songs in praise of the heroes of Israel. I'm certain that it had to have made a huge impression on Israel when Joshua says in verse 12, Son, stand still over Gibeon. Now consider this. Based upon the oath that Joshua had made with the Gibeonites in chapter 9, Joshua had no choice but to protect them. They were under the protection of God's covenant. Then we find in chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, that the five Amorite kings are executed. Verse 16. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave in Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, 
for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them, and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. So what do you do when you've just witnessed the God of the Hebrews actually lengthening a day so his people could thoroughly trounce your people? Well, the answer is, well, these five kings, they hide in a cave. And maybe that wasn't a good idea after all, but that's what these five Canaanite kings do. So Joshua simply has the cave sealed up until the battle is won. He uses these cowardly kings for a God-is-great object lesson in verses 24 and 25. Then they're hanged in public and placed back into the cave. That's what they get for leaving their troops to fight while they hide. As a symbol of disgrace, hanging a dead body on a tree was to make a point. Well, the point was surely made here. As a matter of fact, that's why the cross was necessary for the death of Jesus rather than stoning, hanging on a tree, you see. The Jews had tried to stone Jesus to death on numerous occasions leading up to the crucifixion, but they failed each time. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross. No other form of death would have done. He prophesied that he would go to the cross in John chapter 3, verse 14, at the very early part of his ministry, and again in John chapter 12, verse 33. Paul makes this point regarding hanging on a tree over in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when he says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Just as these five kings were cursed on a tree, so was Jesus at his crucifixion on the cross, according to the Apostle Paul. Now it's time for Israel to head south, beginning with verse 28. On that day Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed through Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day, and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, 
came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people, until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him, and they camped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it, he left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Deber, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron, so he did to Deber and its king, as he had done also to Libna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country in the south, and the lowland and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. Well, we see in this passage that Joshua leads these quick in-and-out raids against the numerous cities in the southern portion of Canaan, defeating each city. Verse 42 says it all. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. One big campaign through South Canaan gets the job done. Again, notice that God directed this campaign. Joshua, take note. When God leads, you do well. When you lead by yourself, well, well, you know. Now, verses 40 to 42 sum up this campaign. It says, So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country in the south and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And that brings us to chapter 11, where we see a new battle strategy, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, that he sent to Joab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Akshoph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plain south of Kinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west." to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the book of Mizraphoth and to the valley of Mizpah eastward, they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. 
So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned the chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, and from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Goth, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Well, old King Jabin here organizes a coalition of kings from the northern part of Canaan to come down after Israel. Verse 4 has that phrase. It says, as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. That indicates there were so many of them, meaning the enemy, that they couldn't even be counted. Well, God knew how many there were and how to defeat them. And God said, cripple their horses and burn their chariots. It's kind of like blowing the tread off their tanks like they did back in World War II. Hey, you're not in Gibeon anymore. That's what we see in verse 20. Rahab and the Gibeonites demonstrated that God spared those who called upon the God of Israel, but destroyed those who did not. The hardened concept we saw back in Exodus regarding Pharaoh is at work here in this verse when it says in verse 20, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. These kings chose war, not peace. Look at the notes on Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 for more on that. We see in verses 22 and 23 that only that area in southwest Israel known today as the Gaza Strip remains to be taken at this point in time. They finished the job in Judges chapter 1, verse 18, where there it says, Also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. 
And interestingly enough, Joshua was the one being attacked in these situations rather than the aggressor. The enemy came from all over Canaan to attack Israel, only to fall in defeat. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker. 